Hey friends, welcome to episode 17 of the Sprouting in STEM podcast. I'm Audrey Farrell. Hi, I'm Matthew Murphy. And this episode we talk about mental health in the wake of graduate acceptance, or not, <laughs> decisions. <laughs> That's good enough. Yeah. Woo. How's that? <laughs> that plant's really dying. Plant yeah. update, it's not looking good. It was looking up for a while. We had new growth, but now it's all looking really sad. I wonder what happened. I know. Well, I mean, part of it is that I, I left for break for a bit. And it got a little neglected. But I think I think part most of what, honest to God, most of what happened is that the heat's been on. Mm. And so it's been so dry in this room that it just couldn't handle it. That makes sense. Sadly. My other plants are doing well, but... Not, not Your so other much fern is looking spectacular. Yeah, I don't know if it's because like this is they're different types of ferns. Mm-hmm. That's a Boston fern, I think. Whereas this one is a fluffy ruffle, mm-hmm. which seems like a bit of a bitch ass plant. You can't put up with anything. It seems it sounds a lot more dainty. Yeah, it's a dainty little plant. It can't take Aww. it being too dry or too hot. It's funny how plants seem to be able to grow and even thrive sometimes in really harsh conditions in nature like you got plants growing up through cracks in a sidewalk but yeah any indoor plant (laughs) (laughs) requires the princess level of care yeah to even you know i don't know like my my other ones look pretty nice and i've been doing minimal care for them yeah i don't know yeah so break happened but we're back it's a new semester it's good to be back our last semester (laughs) it's not good to be uh it's good and bad it's sad you know everything that you've built up over the past four years and has started to feel like it's going to be a permanent thing is now just not going to be yeah in a few short months yeah and i've had the the added thought process of like i might be moving to the west coast yeah sort of same so like now i'm thinking about like oh i okay so in like at the latest six months i won't get to see all the people i love every day that's cool mm-hmm. and like <laughs> i don't like long island i have i have spoken extensively about how i do not like long island but i like my people yeah and like i <laughs> have to have to come to terms with the fact that um hmm you all get to move to different places now well with all that stipend money you could come fly back every once in a while money all that stipend money i literally don't (laughs) 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 okay (laughs) i feel like we should do an update on on statuses because our last episode i had not heard back from anyone i have since heard back from three different graduate schools so Oh, I thought there was that. I thought that was. Oh, it's in the Yay, paragraph. It's the, I thought it was a bullet point. I was oh, say, it's the first bullet point. First bullet point. We're trying a new thing where we think ahead of time and we outline the episodes. Because <laughs> I feel like we did that for like maybe the first two episodes. I think it was just the first one. It was really just the first one. Oh, the second one we might have threw something together like right before the yeah, start like five minutes of the before we put through like a a list of like a couple talking points. Yeah, but um. It has come to our attention that sometimes we, we can ramble for a bit, and so having a bulleted list of things to talk about might be advantageous, but 
Yeah, so so I, I came up with a topic this week because it very much launches off of some of my experiences over the past month. Um, January's fun for me. I don't think I've ever had, like, a good January. It's a shitty month no matter what. But the the uh, the added stress of, of waiting to hear back from PhD programs is a... It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It takes a whole wheelbarrow, dumps it on you. Yeah. How how was that for you? It's waiting. it's still going. It's still going. You're still waiting to hear back from from everywhere, right? Yep. Because I think Astra's decisions just come out later. I was told that they'll start late January. Hmm. So, All mine told me mid February. Do you know how much I didn't expect to hear back from anyone? Yeah. Every single like I, website I guess they was like, say that just to yeah, be safe. Just to be safe, they're like, oh yeah, so the decisions will start coming out, out around mid February, and then I get and I literally got an email on January sixteenth. They were a month early, and I did not expect it. Mm-hmm. And I think I like genuinely went into like some form of shock where I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't process at all. That I had gotten into a PhD program. I have since gotten into three, and I f- still feel very weird about it. Where at? Uh, I've gotten into Stony Brook. Hello. Um, <laughs> big surprise. Big surprise. Honest to God, like, I don't know why I was nervous, but part of me was like, you know, if Stony Brook rejects me, I don't know what I'll, like, how I'll feel. Yeah. Like, I, I knew Stony Brook was on my, like, safety school list. And then I saw that but... you also got an award. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this has been a weird couple of weeks for me, because I got into a bunch of grad schools, and then I got an award I didn't know I had applied to. <laughs> uh, I got an award for, for the physics department, just for, like, doing research, but I didn't realize that the way you applied for that was by taking credit and submitting your final report. Hmm. So I literally had no clue that I was applying for an award, and then they sent out an email to the entire undergrad physics department that just said these people have won an award and i was on that list and i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) did they not tell you personally they didn't tell me personally that's weird they literally told me nothing and then sent an email to the entire department telling them that i'd done a good job and i'm like i don't know what See, i thought those came with money they come with apparently here's the thing so i i got nothing this was like what two days ago we got that email and I, i had heard nothing from the department about what i had actually done and then today I just get an email with some tax forms to turn in, but I still don't know how much they're giving me <laughs> or like what the award is. Maybe they're taking it. Maybe they're taking money now. I think I think the original award description, like I went back because we've gotten emails about the research awards before. I think it's like maximum $1,000, but like mm-hmm. $1,000 would help me pay off my credit card debt. Oh, so yeah. like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be too mad about that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it was really weird. Like they that they didn't contact me or like any of the other winners. Yeah. Actually, individually saying, "Hey, you've won this award specifically. Here's how much we're giving you, and it's for this." And like, no. Yeah, because <laughs> imagine you didn't read that email. Because be honest, how many of those emails do you really read and open <laughs> yeah. instead of just instantly delete? Mm-hmm. You'd have no idea. I have no idea. And then someone congratulated me in my class. Like, like the next morning, I had an 8.30 a.m. and I get to class and someone was like, oh, Audrey, congratulations. And I'm like, <laughs> honestly, I thought they were talking about grad schools because we talked about them yeah. the day before. So I was like, oh, congratulations to you, too. And he's like, for what? Like, <laughs> for grad schools, I assume. And he's like, no, you won that award. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> it was definitely an interesting way for that award to work. 
because you don't know that you're applying to it and you don't really know what you're winning. But it's cool. Yeah, it's definitely a weird time because I feel like I've just been, I've been like thrown a lot of good news. I don't really know how to process it. I'm like, thanks? Like, mm -hmm. I'm shit at taking compliments. Yeah. Absolutely shit. And like, me being me, I, I do whatever I can to justify how I'm still, like, a piece of garbage, even though I'm getting a compliment. Mm -hmm. Like, honest to God, because I, I've gotten into Stony Brook, UMass Amherst, and UCLA, at least unofficially, <laughs> um, and those are all schools where I have had, like, some kind of personal connection to. Like, my, my old advisor from my first two years is at Amherst, my current advisor, and I attend Stony Brook. And then my advisor's advisor is at UCLA, and we had, like, lunch together. So, like, in me brain, I'm thinking, oh, so you got in because of your connections, not because you're, like, a good physicist or, or are worth the time and money they're going to put into you. Don't worry about it. You're still a piece of trash, but, like, now you get to go to school <laughs> for six years. <laughs> but, which was really nice, my advisor... Uh, wanted to tell me specifically i think he, he reads me too well but he's like i just wanted you to know that i didn't know you had gotten into stony brook until like yesterday and so like you got in on your own that's good which i'm like well thanks it's a nice little tidbit for him to throw in there yeah i i feel better about that and he's like very reassuring he's like you know you're like a really good student and like people want you to go do research for them and i'm like yeah well yeah <laughs> you ever see that meme where it's like just a picture in a back alleyway and there's a pile of trash bags and then one of them's just gold foil <laughs> a gold foil trash bag no. amongst a pile of just regular black garbage bags i have not seen this meme you're that gold trash bag wow thanks <laughs> yeah so this week i wanted to talk about mental health in in stem and in academia in general because I've had all January to dwell on my own mental health, which is not great. So, um, I don't know. It feels weird and having bullet points now, but we have bullet points. Um, and we don't have to go chronologically through them, but <clears throat> the gist of it... <laughs> I don't know where to start with this. It's so awkward. Well, I think that's part of the problem, is that uh, in academia, like, talking about your mental health is, like, so not acceptable in a lot of ways. And I think... Is that just academia, though? It's not just academia. It's, it's stigmatized everywhere, and it's fucking awful. Um, but in academia, like, the expectation to be impartial and to be mm -hmm. stoic and, like, so little is, like, rejection talked about. In academia, like, no one talks about how much it hurt when their grant proposal got denied. And, mm -hmm. like, we were very much taught, like, oh, if things go wrong for you, like, just keep moving and don't think about it. Don't show it. Just keep going. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's all for the research and the science or whatever. And, like, I was reading a bunch of articles today of other people talking about, like, their mental health journey as a part of academia and as a part of science. And just how much it's, like, not addressed in 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 the lab or in like your professional relationships or your peer relationships in science like people will talk about how their pi won't say anything about like their obvious emotional decline until it's too late and they have to take like a semester or two off or leave their program because they couldn't deal with it anymore and that's like so unfortunate mm -hmm. 
an exceedingly common because like mental health is stigmatized everywhere, but I feel like in academia and in science particularly. <clears throat> I don't know, thoughts. I feel like there's really no way to change that mm. except by bringing it through a new generation. Yeah. Because, because if you think about it, like bringing up things like mental health, mm. I don't know if it's true in general, or like it's just me projecting, like it's a little <laughs> awkward for a student to go to their advisor and be like, oh, how are you feeling you know, <laughs> yeah. about this stuff? Where it'd be different if it were from the top down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's very difficult to reach the top mm. and kind of address these topics and get them engaged mm. and then change the system that way. Yeah. So I worry that the only way to really change the industry in this way is to just replace everyone. <laughs> Wait till we replace them. <laughs> no, I think, well, I mean, yes, I agree with you. But also, I, I was reading someone talking about this today, um, about how because they've grown up in an atmosphere of silence and silencing people's thoughts about mental health and like not just mental health obviously there are loads of things that science distinctly doesn't talk about like we don't talk about gender we don't talk about sexuality is that kind of a job security thing yeah definitely. or just you know people looking yeah i mean at you different ways i mean obviously i'm still an undergraduate so like i can't speak t from yeah. personal experience about any of this shit but i i have like heard stories of of like such cutthroat environments that like showing vulnerability in that way was always like a way to get someone else promoted over you or to not get tenure because you're starting a family or to not get tenure because you've been like open about like sexual harassment or open about all this shit it's like kind of that atmosphere of keep your mouth shut focus on the science and science will will advance you further in your career like you'll you'll get tenure you'll get that promotion you'll get mm -hmm. the new like senior scientist position all this kind of shit whereas if you are like you know open about when you're not doing okay or like really into a 40-hour work week and you don't stay mm -hmm. after hours because you have a family like all that shit's gonna hurt you until you're really well established in the field and it's so hard because science is such a heavy mental <laughs> career yeah that if your mentals aren't all completely in check it's so hard to do your what you're trying to do yeah a thousand percent and i feel like by the time you get to like the position where you're the one in power you've already been so conditioned to be silent on all these things it's going to be hard to like open up to your students or to your yeah subordinates i guess so like i don't want to blame the people in power now because they grew up in a similar environment and so, like, all the things that make me not want to, like, talk to my PI when I'm not doing okay are the same things that would keep him from asking me mm -hmm. whether or not I'm doing okay, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's like that kind of self-enforcing thing where you can't really blame those in power to an extent <laughs> for, for not being open about, about mental health especially, but it's, it's also the same, the same conditions that make me want to not talk about it. That leads into our first bullet point. <laughs> oh, my statistics? Do you know, like, I wrote two statistics down. Look at me all researched and prepared, so... Did you cite your sources? I didn't cite my sources. This is not very academic at all. Oh, my God. I, I kind of hurt myself. Actually, I cited one of them. 
Um, so one of them is that as of 10 years ago, like from 2009 to 2019, there are twice as many depressed 20-year-olds. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? Well, twice as many 20-year-olds report anxiety and depression. Yeah. I wonder if that's a form of bias going on I feel or like if that's just is societal it, conditions. Is it societal conditions because because we're like we grew up in the realm of social media and so we have so much more to compare ourselves to mm-hmm. uh, or just in the realm of the internet in general we're way more like worldly and self-aware. Yeah. Or is it because because we're so self-aware like not that more people are depressed but more know what depression is and can identify when they have it mm-hmm. or are feeling symptoms of it. I'd like that is an interesting question. If I knew where this statistic was from off the top of my head, I could look into it. And especially now that we're entering an era where it is acceptable to be honest about these things, I feel like people are more willing to self-report yeah. even if they did know. Yeah, definitely. In the past, it might have been, oh, I have this, but I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> you lie gonna... on a survey. Yeah. Yeah. Whether I... you're lying to yourself or <laughs> the anonymous survey. Oof. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I I read a, a Nature article today that stated that as of a 2017 study, 40% of PhD students in general, not just in science, but PhD students, uh show like signs of depression and then i read another one that was said within science 12 percent are like actively have sought help for anxiety or depression or like other mental health related things and you know um a lot of this i've I've been okay since essentially since we started this podcast i wanted to talk about mental health and we have to an extent in previous episodes because it's super important to me and I think it should be super important to everyone. But um, this summer, I had an REU director who was, like, super open about the fact that he has schizophrenia. And it was so jarring to me to be in a scientific setting and have someone talking about, like, actually their mental health. That I, like, it kind of, like, blew my mind a little bit. I'm like, oh, wait, so we can talk about this. We just don't. So why is that? Like, there's obviously, he's doing fine in his career. Mm-hmm. Like, so the problem must be, like, at least part of the problem is my fault, because I'm not talking about it. So, this episode is not going to be the only time we talk about mental health, because it comes up all the time. And it probably be, won't, won't be the last episode we have specifically dedicated to mental health. But I wanted to talk this week specifically about happiness, because I think it can be easy especially in the framework of of people young people who consume an awful lot of media content um to to paint happiness as this kind of not black and white but like pretty simple like joyful experience whereas me being me who just got into three phd programs like it's just ended up being a lot more complicated than that Mm -hmm. and especially because um i remember like God, who knows, so many episodes ago, we talked about how we were waiting for just the first one, the first program to get back to us. As soon as we got that, we'd feel fine. Yeah. And we talked about it. And I remember I said I'd definitely cry the second I got it. Whereas I got my first admissions out of the blue a month before I expected anything. And 
really mostly felt nothing. <laughs> I read the email, and I'm like, oh. Sure. Okay. Like, what do we do now? It's that kind of complicated, like, it's not just an, oh, I'm so ecstatic, I got into a school, and everything's gonna be okay. It's more like, it's just such a, a radical change in, like, what you're thinking about. Because before I was just thinking, oh, I just need to get in places and know that I'm going to get a PhD. Mm -hmm. And then once I know, I'm like, oh, so what do I actually want? <laughs> and it's like, it's complicated. And I think also, like, my own mental health plays a lot into my feelings around graduate school. Like, I'm someone who's very much dealt with my own mental health over the past, at least the past decade. But especially in the past, like, four years of undergrad, like, I've gone to therapy. I've gone... Uh, so kind of on medication it's complicated and like i've dealt with a lot of shit with with my mental health and so going forward into graduate school like i hadn't thought before i got into one about how important it would be to find a graduate program that would also let me take care of myself emotionally and now that i'm into three and i actually have to make decisions yeah <laughs> i'm like oh so which of these is actually going to be, like, good for me? What, like, which one of these is going to be a place where I can be, like, healthy and okay? So you're going to... How you going to find that out? I got to visit. I'm trying not to make any decisions at all before I visit anything. Mm -hmm. um, and also, it's still January. I didn't expect to hear from anyone by now. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to be patient and not jump to conclusions. But I, oh my goodness. I've been checking my email every single I'm day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, none of the astronomy people i know have heard back yet so i think i think physics is just especially because it's small i don't know how small it is relative to astronomy i would expect it to be much larger yeah i don't know i i just know like like the bio people aren't going to hear back for a while yeah for sure because there's just so much so many more because i'm pretty sure astro program applicant pools are typically two to three hundred mm. and then maybe 20 offers from that and it might also just be that they start later. Or it know. could be that there's the the number of faculty is smaller. Oh, yeah. Definitely a much smaller yeah, committee size. Yeah. So the committee has trouble getting through applications. Because I think two to 300 is normal for a lot of physics programs, too. Like, mm. obviously, the bigger ones have more. Yeah. But. Yeah, it definitely makes yeah. sense that physics has a much yeah, larger like, committee. Because it, I feel like it, it covers a broader range yeah. of, of topics. Yeah. So you have more faculty because you're going to have condensed matter people, you're going to have optics people, you're going to have material science people even fall into the physics departments and mm. then like nuclear accelerator, all this high energy, mostly high energy faculty. So like you have so many, obviously there are subgroups in astronomy too, mm. but they're a lot more clustered together with one yeah, another. Yeah, they're, they're closer together. So like you don't need as many faculty to cover all of astronomy. Yeah, and plus a lot of programs just don't cover all areas. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas physics is a little more spread out. So, so you've got a lot more faculty, which means you can accept more students, and you've got bigger uh, admissions committees, so you can get through applications faster, which is nice. Have you heard back through only emails? Uh, yeah. So I've I've gotten only emails so uh amherst and stony brook i just got direct emails from like the grad admissions person that's like here's your admissions letter and then ucla is complicated <laughs> because i got an email from the advisor that i want to work with 
uh, and then like CC like off saying I'm recommended by him for admission. But then I was on that email was CC'd like my current advisor and like one of the grad uh, administration people that I don't know. But so it's like an unofficial offer. I'm just waiting for the real the real letter to come through. Yeah, the confirmation. The confirmation. I know. I keep I keep worrying that it's gonna be like psych, <laughs> and I don't actually get in. Well, like it made me unreasonably nervous that like it's not actually they're not actually gonna let me in. Like my the the advisor wants me, but then the actual school looks over my like transcripts and stuff and decides I'm not good enough. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which like I know won't happen, but I'm still gonna be really nervous about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a nerve-wracking time. Let me ask you a question. Now that you have been confirmed at at least one program mm. to possibly three, possibly more, who knows? We'll see. Does that make you better able to celebrate others, like getting offers and hearing back? Honestly, knowing I, that you're not missing out on anything, knowing that I'm not missing out. Honestly, I don't. No, no one that I'm like super close to has also heard back about things yet. Okay. So I I haven't been super close to like other people celebra- celebrating their admissions yet because a lot of a lot of my super close friends are taking gap years or mm-hmm. are not going into PhD programs. So no one that I know has done the big celebrate yet. So I mostly feel bad. <laughs> I'm like, I'm because I'm like. Amongst the people I very closely associate with, like, day-to-day, I'm the only one who, like, has offers on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the exception of people who, like, are doing five-year programs here, who mm-hmm. already know that they're getting their master's and, like, That's all this true. stuff. But, I don't know. It feels a little weird. Like, I, f- I feel kind of shitty talking about it, because you haven't <laughs> got any offers yet. That's one of the things Pending... I've kind of been worried about, um, possibly for grad school, and now I know it's going to happen for the freaking GRFP. <laughs> But I've moved on. You've moved on? I don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> but I've moved on. That uh, I'm going to watch everyone who I'm kind of competing with, but like who I'm peers with, yeah. you know, get into all their favorite programs, whatever. And then I'm going to get no offers. Got to figure out what the hell to do with You're my life. You're not going to get no offers. I don't know. We'll Actually find out, We'll find out at 8 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta speed this recording up because you've got a call with the admissions committee at eight. She just sends me an email. Hi, uh, I would love to chat with you about, you know, some news regarding your application. But it, wasn't, it wasn't some news. It was a news. A news. <laughs> a news. There, there were a few grammatical errors. <laughs> I would like to discuss a news. And then she keeps. Uh, I don't know if I'm reading into it wrong, where. <laughs> She's just being polite when she's like, oh, I can't wait to speak with you or like whatever. <laughs> but I feel like she wouldn't be excited if it were good news. And yeah, then she's I calling me from home. Cause she's calling me when she gets home. What? And like, I feel like she wouldn't call me from home if I weren't, you know, some personally good news. Interesting. Maybe so, they're going to offer you like a million dollars to go to that school. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've had a really weird relationship with anxiety over this whole process. Like, I thought I would be a lot more anxious than I... Because I'm, I'm like, a person that's been, like, genuinely anxious. Like, you know, I've texted you in the middle of panic attacks yeah. several times. Like, I'm not a not-anxious person. And yet, like, I kind of expected this whole process would make me, like, a little bit erratic. <laughs> and it's... I've been oddly calm the whole time, which is nice. I wonder 
this is just a little bit of a conjecture mm. in the whole period of applying and waiting and just like even going back further the whole period of getting ready for grad school mm. and like doing your research and excelling in your classes and all that i wonder if you've came to think of yourself as a phd student <laughs> So the fact that you're now confirmed to be a PhD student in the future is less so of, yay, I've achieved this, as, yay, I knew this. <laughs> I guess it's kind of that thing where you've you've railroaded yourself in the direction of a PhD. And so by the time you're there, you've already planned for it so much that you're just like, oh, yes, I'm ready. Let's go. Mm. But... I mean, I'm still I'm still nervous about it, but I'm not, like, anxious about it, you know? I feel like that's a clear delineation. I feel like that'll come because the, or the admission decision is, like, a nice, beautiful face <laughs> on a monster that is, you know, <laughs> figuring out where you're going to live yep. and your financials and then moving away and just the logistics of moving all your stuff across the country and all that. <laughs> yeah. But it's great because you got it. <laughs> yeah, like... I, it feels like kind of it's one of the the last big steps to my end goal, you know? Yeah. Which is exciting. But also just like weird and complicated and like a little sad because I know it means I got to like leave everyone and well, at least mostly everyone. My, <laughs> my meeting with my advisor was like, well, you know, if you if you go to UCLA, like me and the advisor there are like co-PIs on a lot of projects so like it wouldn't be goodbye <laughs> <laughs> we just wouldn't see each other as often but like a lot more emails with one another we'd still be working together and i'm like you know that actually makes me feel so much better because <laughs> i don't want to just leave mm -hmm. you know and i like i've got i've obviously i've got mixed feelings about stony brook as a whole but like and anywhere you go you find your your little community of people and, like, I very much developed, like, a whole support system here. So leaving mm. it, horrifying. Yeah, it's scary to have to start that over again. Yeah, and and it feels wrong to, like, think of it as starting over. Because I'm like, I'm not losing these people. I just don't get to see them every day. But, like, am I already planning on replacing them? That doesn't feel right. And so it's just complicated and weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I thought getting into my PhD program would be, like, such a ecstatic moment for me and like you were like jumping up and down and instead i was just on the couch and i was just like oh oh god <laughs> like, guess i'll go change my phone wallpaper to umass hammer <laughs> <laughs> never yeah we'll, we'll see what happens i definitely i need to go visit everywhere yeah and then i've got like the added oh it's gonna be a pain to plan yeah, I was Ugh. just going to say, it's going to be such a pain in the ass to plan this semester, because I know, I know my schedule, which is full, at least, like, from 8 a.m. to 5 or 6 p.m. every single day. Although I feel like <laughs> it's kind of an expected thing for students for in our position yeah. to have to take time for that, that it'll be We have no we said problem. what it is? We need to go visit. Did we say that? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I need, I need to plan on, like, flying out to a bunch of different places now. <laughs> and so I'm like, how do I fit that in my insanely full schedule? Because every time I go, I miss work and I make less money to afford going places. And like, granted, a lot of it's reimbursed, but it's yeah, I was very, about to say it's so stressful. Yeah, Ugh. I love traveling. It's just traveling when I'm also busy. 
Because it's not really traveling for pleasure. Yeah, it's not. Well, <laughs> it's a business yeah, trip. It's a business trip, which is wild to think about. <laughs> I feel like we're avoiding the subject. Of what? <laughs> what we have outlined. Well, you did say in your last bullet you're going to go on a tangent. I was going to go. Or a seven. I was going to go on a tangent or seven, but pertaining to the topic. But I don't know. It, it definitely, like, even now it feels super weird to talk about mental health things i can't like i have trouble even talking to like my friends about it one-on-one let alone when i'm being recorded about like <coughs> anything depression related anxiety related because really how do you bring it up it's like hey just so you know i don't feel like a person today yeah because i've been seeing a lot well one in your second to last bullet point <laughs> but also <laughs> like see it. all over media and then i'm pretty sure is, my is January or February like National Mental Health Month or something? Oh, God, I don't even because know. Because I've seen that Bell Let's Talk thing come back. Mm. I don't know if you know about that. I don't. It's just like a... I don't really know what it is. I just know it's a hashtag on Twitter <laughs> that's meant to like promote mental health awareness. And I've seen a lot of people kind of bringing up that, hey, you should you know genuinely check in with your friends and that should be an acceptable thing. But no one ever really talks about how to actually do that effectively. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I've definitely been in the situation so many times in the past where I've been having a really horrible time in my brain and it's just like nightmarish in there. No one, no one should see what that looks like, but I'm just sitting around with my friends, like having a good time and waiting for someone to bring something up that I could segue into me talking about my mental health and Mm. it never does. Yeah. It never comes up because like, that's just not what we talk about in our like our culture amongst my friends and so i mean more so now in the past in the past year or so it's really changed the dynamics um part of that (laughs) being my fault um because i've i've gone to some pretty low places and and tried to be as open as possible about like how i got back out of those and like trying to make it very clear to my friends that like i am someone you can talk about if you are like really hurting or like super anxious like i'm pretty good at talking people down from panic attacks now because i've talked myself down from a few of them mm-hmm. it's like i'm not i'm not bad at it and at the very least i know what that's like and I, i've told people like oh i just had a panic attack <laughs> like I'll, I'll try and be pretty open about it or like oh like i was just crying in the shower for a little bit but now i'm okay like that kind of thing i'm trying to be more and more like open about it but it's still like so much of it feels so wrong and so unacceptable and it makes me feel like so shitty as a person even though i know it's better for everyone when you're open about it but like genuine check-ins with your friends are so important i remember like last week part of part of what's happened to me this january which i never really realized i had an issue with this is my tangent if you're ready I'm prepared. If you're prepared, everyone take a seat. Let me buckle in real quick. <laughs> Get a notepad. Prepare for uh, some information. But um, is that I, I depersonalize a lot. And if you aren't familiar with what that means, it's like people will say they're like dissociating a lot. Like that gets thrown around pretty colloquially. But when you're depersonalizing, it's like I describe it as being like six inches behind your body going throughout your day. So you feel like kind of it's it's like being on autopilot where you're like you're doing things but you don't feel like connected to what you're actually doing i've been 
essentially depersonalizing this whole month. And so when I get grad school announcements and admissions offers, I like, I see it, I read it, I acknowledge it, and I know what's happening. I'm obviously, I'm not, I'm not like completely out of it where I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm in touch with reality, but I'm like, I'm not connected to it enough to like have strong emotions about it. And so it's something that like, I've talked to people about it and it's like seemed pretty common. I, I know at least two other of my close friends have like depersonalized for a long time in the past. And so they totally get it when I say, like, oh, I'm just, like, not here right now. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, stuck out of it. And I can't can't quite get back. And I don't really know how. And they'll totally get it instantly. Because they're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've been there. Like, you got it. That's such a mood. <laughs> and so it's, like, super cool to have people understand it. But also crazy because I feel like no one ever talks about it. And especially when when good things happen to you and you can't really, like, feel that like wow like wow this is so cool kind of thing it's remarkably isolating because especially now like i still feel like a bit of an ass talking about it with you because i know (laughs) you probably love to be in my position and have three acceptances like that's awesome and i know it's awesome but i'm like i'm still like behind the pane of glass about all of it yeah because i feel like if you're not happy for yourself it's hard to be happy at all yeah because i hate and not that i don't appreciate it mm. but i kind of sometimes get annoyed when like other people are happy for me yeah yeah i i feel that i i get frustrated when people are like oh my god wow audrey that's so amazing and like they're more excited about it than i am and i'm like i can't uh, i don't know i really don't know how to take that yeah i don't know how to take it either and then but then like me being the hypocrite that i am i like if people aren't excited enough <laughs> <laughs> like you hype I mean, them up you hype man yeah, yeah like i texted my family group chat when i got into ucla and i'm like but like i feel like i don't communicate with them enough for them to know how much of a big deal that is for me mm-hmm. so they were like yay and then started talking about my sister's dog like instantly and i'm like well okay be happy for me yeah, but at I'm the like, same time like i just got into a phd program yeah like i get that <laughs> like, can you give me a moment i get that but yeah, it's definitely a very weird, weird feeling. And I, and it it's made me, like, because I've been very in my head this whole January, I've thought a lot about, like, my own mental health and, like, how that's going. Because I don't know if I've explicitly stated this, but, like, I've been, like, very clinically depressed in the past. And I have sought treatment for it. And I have gotten better and I've gotten worse. And, you know, you, you improve and then you backslide and then you improve. And it's a whole process. But now I'm at the I'm at the point where I've been I've been quite good for quite a long time. Or not quite a long time. I've been good for like maybe six months. <laughs> or like well yeah. Yeah, maybe less than that. But like anytime you start feeling like you might be like going into a depressive episode again, yeah, it's like you panic because you're like, Oh god, I know how bad it's gotten. Like I I've seen rock bottom. I don't wanna go back there. It's not good. And then you have a panic attack about it, and then you freak out, and then it makes you worse because you realized you've had a panic attack, and like that's a sign that you're not doing well, and like all these things that kind of cyclically uh, feed off of each other into making you worse and worse, and the well-known downward spiral of mental health. Mm-hmm. But the biggest, best way to avoid that is literally talking to anyone about it. So like, I'm trying so hard to get in the habit of any time I'm like not doing well literally just text one person about it and like ask for help or 
if you can't even ask for help, just, like, tell them what's happening. Like, it doesn't even have to be, like, a cry, a cry for help. It's literally just like, oh, like, I've been dissociating a lot lately. Or, like, oh, I'm, like, having a lot of panic attacks. Or, oh, I'm, like, not sleeping well because I'm, like, way too anxious. All this kind of stuff, like... I feel like it's so overstigmatized that reaching out to anyone about it feels like a cry for help and like you're making yourself vulnerable. Yeah, because I feel like when you're in the position of someone who's receiving that, you almost kind of feel obligated to reach out and help them. Yeah, like I've definitely put you on the receiving end of some very panicked <laughs> uh, texts. Matt has talked me down from at least a few panic attacks. Um, those were less mental health oriented more so than circumstantial, but... Um, mm -hmm. it, I always think about that, like, oh, if I talk to this person about how I'm, like, panicking right now, am I putting them in an uncomfortable situation that might make them worse? And so I, then I run the gambit of, like, who's my sanest, most <laughs> stable <laughs> friend at the moment <laughs> that I can reach out to without hurting? And it's, it's such a toxic process. But I think that... It's especially common in academia to feel like that because so much of it is, is silenced mm -hmm. and so much of it is like professional. Because when you're expected to be super skeptical 100% of the time and always be <laughs> analytical about mm -hmm. things, it kind of removes your ability to think that way. Yeah, and it's that kind of like mindset of, oh, if I'm feeling super depressed, my first instinct is how can we like logically deal with this yeah but so much of your mental health is not a logical process it's complicated you don't understand how what's going on like let alone anyone else so it's like the human brain wow man it's so complicated so weird very easy to lie to you and so it's so complicated and like you can't just apply like analytical self-reasoning to it because I, I think especially in scientists like your first instinct is to figure it out. At least for me as a physicist. Like, when I first realized, like, it took me a long time to realize I was actually depressed. and Because I couldn't really see it in myself the way I saw it in others. Because I'm high-functioning. Wow, who knew? Um, but, you like, your first instinct is, okay, so why? Mm -hmm. And how do we fix it specifically in a, like, logical way? But... Part of the problem with mental health and especially with stuff like depression is that it's lying to you in yeah. your own brain. Like, my brain tells me lies constantly. And, like, you get, in like, fun, intrusive thoughts that are, like, not correct. And all this stuff that's, like, you can't logic your way out when you're lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. Or, like, I'm, I'm in the habit of, of putting my depression in a box with the name depression on it and saying, oh, I'm not lying to myself. Depression's lying to me. Mm -hmm. and telling me all this shit that's not correct uh same with anxiety like oh i'm thinking this this is an anxious thought not a not an audrey thought it's like completely separate things and so as an individual you can't really just weasel your way out of it with the scientific method because you are not objective because it's you mm -hmm. like it's a very weird internal process as a scientist dealing with your own mental health yeah like, you, you just want to fix it and be done and move on and get your work done. Because we're so conditioned to have a problem and then just solve it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's super dangerous when people come to you with their mm -hmm. problems. Because then you feel like, here's here, let me go find a solution for <laughs> let me, you. Let me, go, let me go on Stack Exchange and when, see if they have the cure to depression. <laughs> when most of the time, that's not what they want. And then just makes it 
yeah. worse or it makes them mad at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a matter of balancing, like, it's, I mean, it's what it always is, which is work-life balance. <laughs> I feel like work-life balance is so non-existent in research careers that it can be really easy to only think of things the way you think about work. Because one of the upsides about an academic career is there's not much of a workplace, like mm-hmm. as much as you would have in a corporate setting. Yeah, it's not a cubicle. Yeah, but that's also bad because then your work becomes your life, mm-hmm. and then you have no work-life balance because your life is work. Yep. Yeah, it's like vaguely toxic, slash very toxic. And so you want to approach everything the same way you approach work because it's all you ever do. And, like, I definitely did this when I first realized I had problems with my own mental health. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work really hard to fix it. But you can't you can't just work away a mental illness. It doesn't work like that. And I think especially, like, a lot of scientists that I talk to, like, literally everyone I talk to in science, like, kind of clearly has a problem with their own mental health. Like, everyone I know is anxious or depressed in one way or another and to various degrees. And so... To the to the point where it's it's comical, the number of times I've joked around with friends about like serious mental health issues and symptoms is ridiculous because it's so commonplace at this point. Like like we said, like forty percent. That's like half of everyone you ever meet. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so common that you can throw jokes around about it, but it's so important to to deal with and to acknowledge that it's like I don't know. I I I just. I get frustrated in science because it's seen as unimportant. Whereas I like me being me and having the experiences I've had, I've seen how bad it can get and how it can ruin not only like your personal life, but literally it can make you unproductive. There have been times where I've tried to be doing science, but I've been so actively like depressed that my brain couldn't work in a scientific way. It can absolutely destroy your productivity as a scientist. So the last thing you want to do is ignore it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we're trained in such a way that all, all there is to do is ignore it. Mm-hmm. And it's an existing problem in in universities as well. Like There are articles about it literally everywhere. Like, oh, suicide rate at this Ivy League is increased and there aren't enough therapists for the students. And we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but... Yeah, we talked about the therapist bit because yeah. I feel like schools really aren't set up to handle that. They're not equipped. to handle these issues yeah. with their students. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I think everyone should be in therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy, and so when you have like ten therapists for a campus of forty thousand people, it doesn't add up. It doesn't mm. work out. So it's just it's so important and it's such a priority for me that now that i'm like in grad into grad school programs i'm not in grad school but like like i'm i'm thinking (laughs) you're you're, you're in in. (laughs) you're not out anymore (laughs) but now that i'm like genuinely thinking about where i'm gonna be next year like part of what i'm considering so much is like well what is the their infrastructure for dealing with mental health like will i have health care that will cover going to see a therapist and that's not at all something that's ever advertised it's, on why you should come to their exactly. school. Like, I can find so little information. You you always have, like, the one wishy-washy webpage that's like, we have a counseling center. Mm. I'm like, okay, but, like, how accessible it is, is it? How many, like, what's the demand on every single one of your therapists? Because I've been to Stony Brook's, like, um, 
counseling center and I got some of the worst mental health treatment I've ever seen. Like, they made me so much worse because they couldn't, like, there weren't enough therapists there to match me with one that would work for me. And so I had some really toxic conversations that only made me worse. But that being said, I do want to, I do want to advertise. <laughs> Hi, this is Audrey's podcast now. Matt, you don't get to talk. <laughs> um, I do want to advertise, like, I had terrible experiences at, at, at my counseling center. And I had two different therapists there. And neither of them really worked for me, and I did get worse under their care. But <laughs> there's a big but there. I do not at all regret going and getting help for that, mm. because at the very least, it's it's makes you think about it. And the fact that you go to a counseling center and like you have to go through triage where they see how sad you are <laughs> and try to decide oh, what priority of a patient you are, which is a sign that maybe your system is broken if you have to triage your mental health students. Uh, or, wait, triage the mental health of your students. Because there should just be enough counselors for everyone, but maybe that's just my opinion. Uh, um, but at the very least, it, it is a sign that like other people considered you worthy of help mm. because because they took the time to put you with a therapist or two therapists in my case so like obviously something's not right if, if that's if i've been prioritized in this way or if i or if that like these licensed therapists are agreeing that i need help like maybe i'm not as okay as i've been pretending to be so like while college kind of uh, counseling centers are usually not equipped for like long-term mental illness and like people who very much generally are in crisis um, I don't regret going. Like, I, I regret some of the things that were said to me <laughs> while I was there, but I don't regret going because that, like, kind of leapfrogged me into seeking help in other ways, and mm -hmm. all of it's just made me more aware of my, my own mental health and how we're doing and checking in with other people. So it's like a learning process and we're still getting better, but <sighs> tangent over. <laughs> you have time for thoughts. I, don't know. I feel like I've tangented, uh, tan, tangent, no, tangented, tangentialized. I've I've gone on tangents. <laughs> I feel like there's got to be a better word for that. I don't know. I don't know. You've uh, uh, for, oh for quite a lot. Digressed. Yeah, I I, well, but I feel like, well, a tangent also implies that because I feel like digressed implies that you're off topic. I was on topic for what we had written on the outline. But I feel like I've I've monopolized the space a little bit. Do you have any thoughts you want to add, man? No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. Whatever, man. I don't have anything else to add at the moment. Hmm. I don't know. I've had all January, like, mostly spending time on my own, thinking about my own mental state so yeah I'm i've kind it. of been busy most of the month <laughs> yeah so it's always been that my mind has actively been focused on one thing whereas these looming application decisions have just kind of been on the back burner back burner yeah and then now that we're transitioning back into a semester it's kind of the same deal mm -hmm. but also now that we're kind of approaching the time where you should be hearing back is like making it a little worse yeah yeah because it's so hard to proceed day to day when you have no idea like what the next 
six months is gonna be. Yeah. Yeah, I and I have like family and friends who already know what's up and they're like trying to make plans with me. Yeah. That like past this semester and I'm like, I have no idea where I'll be in June. I have no idea. And it's so hard because I'm reaching the point where I have to start making like big boy decisions. <laughs> like, oh, am I gonna start paying solely for my phone bill and like am I gonna get a new computer? Mm. And so much of it has become if I get into grad school, yeah. I'll do this. Yep. All of the plans are focused on that. Man, I fell down a hole of looking at apartments in, in LA. Yeah. <laughs> For far too long. And I'm like, first off, all of the listings you're looking at will not be the same listings that will be up in six months. And also, you haven't committed to UCLA yet. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know that's where you're going. So it's unreasonable for you to be spending this much time looking at apartments that you, first off, won't be living in. And secondly, don't even know if you'll be in the same city as. So, like, mm-hmm. it's useless. But you, like, I've been, I've spent so much time in the past, like, few months deprived of certainty mm-hmm. <laughs> about my future. So as soon as I get a glimpse of it where, like, it's a definite, like, you could be there, then I, I want to get all the logistics sorted out because it's been what's making me nervous for so long. Is there anything that while going through this period, like post submission (laughs) or even just during the application process, is there anything you regret? Regret? I don't know because I mean, obviously it's worked out okay for me so far, (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) um, because I don't regret how much time I spent looking at the schools before I applied to them. Like I spent so much time reaching out to professors, having phone calls with potential advisors, and really trying to decide if like this place was right for me before I applied. So now no matter where I get in, I know I'd be happy to go. Mm-hmm. So I don't at all regret that. Like even my safeties aren't bad options at all. Like I, I would love to be at Stony Brook. I'd love to be at Amherst because I, I know people that I work really well with there. And at the same time, like, I know I'll do well at UCLA because I know the person I'd be working with. I know what I'd be working on, and I know that I really enjoy it. So it's not like undergrad where you're like, you come to... I didn't really have that much choice as an undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you, you have to come to that choice with so much less certainty that yeah. it's going to be right for you. Because you're such a smaller fish in an infinitely larger pool. Yeah. Of so much less responsibility. I definitely feel it's cooler a weird now. It's dynamic. I feel cooler now knowing that I've gotten into a PhD program. Because there's a huge distinction between a student and a PhD student. Like a grad student, you know? Like a... <laughs> no, not even like a grad student. A but like a PhD specifically, candidate. Yeah. You're, then you're not a candidate until you finish your exams. Yeah, you have to finish your qualifying exams before you're an actual PhD candidate. You're a grad student first. Yeah, but like I'm... I'm I'm going to grad school. Like that's so cool. That's fancy. Like I, I I've also though been like pre-panicking about all the imposter syndrome I'm going to feel as soon as I get onto like a grad school campus where I'm like, wow, all these people did so much and I've done so little and I'm like, I know that's not true. And yet, and I'm yet, gonna be nervous about it. <laughs> and I know everyone else is feeling the same thing. Because usually everyone just projects and even, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
uh, embellishes Ooh. everything they've done. So you can't help but feel like you're I don't, not measuring up. I feel like I've like burnished everything I've done. Is that the opposite of embellished? I have no idea. Burnished? I've, for, I've since forgotten all my GRE words. Yeah, your GRE vocab is gone. And like I, I have a habit of of talking down my accomplishments that I'm trying to get over. So like, I got into grad school. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, that's not something a lot of people ever yeah are able to do. Yeah, it's exciting. Especially on the first try. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting and nerve wracking and complicated and scary. But you know, we're there. I don't know. I f- I felt the need to resolve. Our, our previous comments about the first grad school admission. In yeah, a little context. update on a how that actually A little update on how that went actually through. went. It was really complicated. Because I'm like, still on the mindset spooky. where my first to <laughs> Your come in. Your first is going to be like, woo! We'll see. Go out and party all night. I don't know. If it happens tonight, i got to celebrate in some way. I'm telling myself. Yeah? We'll see. What are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> It's Sleep like a, it's, a, it's a Wednesday night, <laughs> and it's kind of late enough where like we can't really go out to dinner anymore because everyone's kind of eaten already. I feel like also a bunch of my, uh, which one was it? Stony Brook's admission. I got it like eleven p.m. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I got it at a really weird time, and I was very surprised by it. I'm like, I I got it while I was playing. A tabletop RPG, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I didn't see it till like after like the four hour campaign was done. It's <laughs> like, oh, I got into Stony Brook, I guess. But now I got to figure out like monies. Yeah, who offers me what? Dude, the negotiations. Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah, that's that's what I'm also worried about. Like, I have no idea how to do that. How do you? Because I'm already for super thankful. They'll well potentially if <laughs> here comes the if again. Like, that they may be giving me money mm-hmm. that I don't know how to ask for more. Yeah. Yeah, like, Amherst offered me, like, I mean, they're, they're, the fellowship things are decided later, but, like, their base offer is, like, 23 grand for the nine months, like, the academic year, nine or ten months. And I'm, like, doing that math of, like, is that enough for rent and also to adopt a dog? <laughs> like, <laughs> That is the one thing I am so excited about is that now on that top I know. Of the tuition? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you get a dog, and then you got to make sure your apartment is pet friendly. Yeah, I got to make sure. Like, I it seems I, when I say it to people, it seems so trivial. Of like, oh, I need to be in a place where I can adopt a dog in grad school. But this plays into our mental health thing. I've wanted a dog uh, for for years for the sake of my mental health mm-hmm. because when you have a dog. First off, it is a creature who relies on you, <laughs> which so is Mattress. So, like, I still get that from Mattress. But then it is a reason to go outside mm-hmm. every day. And it is a, like, a highly emotionally intelligent animal that knows, wh- like, when you're not okay. And so having a dog is, on like, very high on my list of priorities for graduate school. Because I'll finally be in a position where I'm not living in a dorm that doesn't allow any animals. But also the problem is, because I'm kind of in the same position where I have a dog at home who I'm very close to. And I was always planning to bring it with me wherever I go. But the difference between a dog and your snake, like, no offense to your snake. <laughs> 
But dogs are so much more social mm-hmm. and so much more attention dependent. Yep. That like I have no idea what my schedule would be like in grad school. Mm-hmm. Like you hear the stories of students being locked in their office for days on end doing their work. Like, would you be able to devote the time to the dog? I know. Like be I've at home enough. I had this like this nervous realization of like, am I going to be in a position to responsibly own like yeah. A dog that needs that much attention and socialization. I'm like, I need to find a place where I can bring my dog into the lab. <laughs> Clearly. This is true. Dog in the office. You gotta make sure it's potty trained then. <laughs> I know. I feel like in in an ideal situation, and, and if this doesn't work out, I'd probably push it off by like a year, is like over the summer, I would I would adopt a dog when I have more time. And I would spend the months needed because I don't plan on adopting a puppy. So, mm-hmm. in in all likelihood, it would have a lot of basic training under its belt already. But I would adopt a dog and then spend the months leading up to the start of grad school, really working with it and giving it the attention it needs, and maybe getting it certified as an emotional support animal. But I'm not sure yet, because um, then you can live anywhere. Uh, it's like. Having it as a certified emotional support animal means a lot of um, housing rules can be kind of bent in your favor. Because otherwise it's discriminatory, which is great. Cool. Mm. Love that policy. But then by the time I actually start classes, like it's already adjusted to me and the environment. And it will be a lot easier <laughs> to manage my my work and class schedule with my dog schedule. Mm-hmm. And like... If anything, like, it's a reason to leave work a couple times a day, which is so good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Breaks are so important. You know, my advisor in class takes a five-minute break in the middle of lecture because it's an hour and 20-minute lecture, and he's like, that's too long. No one can focus for that long. So we take a five-minute break in the middle of class, and so few people do that, and it helps so much. Like, I, I stay engaged that whole lecture versus if they just go the whole hour and 20 minutes, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be as focused by the end of it. So. Pretty sure he's the only one who does that. He's the only person I've ever had that does that. Everyone else is like, oh, an hour and 20 minutes? That's not nearly enough time. I need four hours. And then they just lecture speed run through the whole thing and you just get a dump of information and you're like brain dead by the end of it. Mm-hmm. But it's very nice. Yeah, so a dog is a reason to leave work several times a day to go take care of your dog Mm -hmm. which is great for you and also a reason to not just lock yourself at a desk on weekends Mm -hmm. you know actually go to the dog park you make friends because of dogs because people come up to you because they want to pet your dog because the entire young population of america is dog deprived because none of us can afford pet friendly apartments everyone loves dogs and wants to pet a dog in public Mm -hmm. so like it's such a social creature that forces you to be social as well. Because mm-hmm. you've got to go out with that dog and show it off. Mm. Very good. I really want a dog. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you know that about me? I think about I think about my future dog on a daily basis. Like several times a day. About like, oh, if I get a dog, like, how am I going to do this? And like, how am I going to go to a conference with a dog? And so I need like a very, I, like, it's hard because with cats, cats are independent. Mm-hmm. So going away for a week with a cat, it's like you get someone to come in during the day and like check on your cat and feed them and everything. But other than that, 
your cat's mostly going to be okay because they're not like socially dependent. But a dog, you got to like hire a dog sitter. Mm. And that's so much more complicated and expensive. So I need to know in my negotiations with <laughs> grad school that I'll have enough money for a dog <laughs> and an apartment <laughs> that will let me have a dog. <laughs> but So many special prerequisites. I know. It's very important. Mm, I get it. <laughs> I 100% get it. From a dog person to another. Oh my god. I didn't think I was a dog person until I got very scarily depressed. <laughs> and then I realized how much I needed one. <laughs> but, like, I was always a cat person as a, like, as a young, like, as, as a youngster, as a youth. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was always very strictly a cat person. I'm like, oh, why would anyone ever want a dog? Cats are the best. Weird. Yeah. No. Now I just, I, like... I love cats, but I need a dog. Yeah. <laughs> you never had one growing up? I had one growing up, hmm. but it wasn't, like, my dog. Hmm. It was more so, really, like, it was the family dog, but it's really my sister's dog. And she was not, like, very well trained. Like, yeah. she's a good dog, but, like, she wasn't, like, a there for you, like, yeah. very... Because dogs typically latch on to that one person. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not that one person, then you can't really experience that companionship. Yeah. yeah. So I, I never had my dog, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you have yours. I have mine yeah. at the moment. I love that dog. I wonder what he's doing right now. Oh. <laughs> All right. We should probably wrap up. Yeah. How long until your call? It's 7.34 right now. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be like exactly eight or when or what. Oh, Nerve wracking. Okay. Yeah, so we'll finish up. Um, semester's back, so our recording's back. We're recording this on a Wednesday, which is wild. Yeah. But... I kind of like it. It's kind of nice. It's not, I'm not destroyed by the rest of the week yet. So that's nice. Maybe we'll be a little more conscious yeah. <laughs> this, this, this year. 2020. And it'll, it'll hopefully prevent us from spilling over the responsibility of recording to like right before you edit. Yeah, that will be nice for me. I've got so much time to edit now. I'm like, ooh, when will I do it? <laughs> will I do it on a Thursday night? Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, we'll still be releasing on Sundays, but we're recording earlier in the week now because... Because we can. Because we can. Fun new schedules. New year, new schedule. <laughs> TBH, I hated doing Fridays. Yeah, Fridays kind of suck. Yeah. Well, now I just have work and then research meetings on Friday nights, yeah. so I don't know how much better it's going to be, but... Because I always finish before you, hmm. and then I'd be chilling in the weekend mode, and then I'm like, oh, wait. You gotta go do the stuff, yeah. Yeah, no. This this is a nice new schedule. We're back for the year. Woo! We got, got the whole gang all here. Oh, we gotta get our guest mic back from you? Oh, uh, yeah, it's in my room. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, We got a new setup. We're sitting in new, new places, too. It's a very fun fresh start to the semester well it's not really new places we're just we just kind of rotated, we rotated a little our, bit. our setup a little bit i moved my desk it's changed some things it feels different for me so hopefully we'll get new episodes out every week because it's now the semester so we'll be much more consistent than during the breaks we have much less of an excuse yeah we, we can't say oh i'm traveling europe i can't all right so so it's the new semester and we'll Hope, hope it's going well for you guys. Yeah. 
Hey. Hope we're starting the roaring twenties off with a bang. <laughs> I put out an Instagram poll for suggestions for topics, and we have taken them into account, and we will hopefully get to a bunch of those. Um, if you're not following us on Instagram, sprouting stem, sprouting stem is our Instagram handle. And what's the Twitter? I think it's just sprouting and stem. Wow, fascinating. Yeah, so so uh, go follow us on those if you want to hear more in between episodes, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs>